Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Last week, we had a discussion on healing. Uh, we're continuing our Effective Habits series, and I'm going to invite Des and James to come up and talk about awakening. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You know, I, um, I was saying in first service that uh, I really, I really, really love praise and worship. You know, um, there's just something... There's something about just telling God who he is to you, how wonderful he is and proclaiming his truth, even sometimes when you don't feel like it, just the act of doing it. What does God say? He inhabits the praises of his people. If you want God to get involved in your situation, praise him. Lift up your hands. Tell him. Don't stifle your voice. Give him your voice. It's freeing, but it allows him to come in and move in your situation. So I just want to encourage you. I mean, the preaching and the teaching are effective and it's good, but there's just something about praising our God. So you know, he designed us for worship, right? We're going to worship something. That's what we were designed for. He wants us to worship him. Amen? You know, um, the, the series on effective habits has... Uh, has really been, I think, eye-opening and focusing a lot on, on some of our values that we have here as a church. You know, we have the one value is identity, right? Knowing who we are and knowing whose we are, yeah. right? Our second value is maturity. As Christ is fully formed in us, the totality of our lives is impacted. And then mission. Going and making disciples that make disciples that make disciples, right? Amen? So the series is really focused a lot, I think, on identity and maturity, and, and that's no different, I think, in terms of what we're going to tackle today. You know, as we walk through the awakening, we're going to do a, a biblical walk, I think, on the temple. You know, take you on a temple and priestly walk through the Bible, and as you think of temple, just think of it as the place where God and humans are one. It's the place where he meets us. You know, and James will walk us through, you know, some of the, the special characteristics and features of the temple. But the temple is important to God because he wants relationship with us. And he designed this temple process as a way that he could have that. You know, you remember in the Garden of Eden, what did he like doing? Just kind of walk in with Adam in the cool of the day. Just spending time with him. That's what he wants to do with us. Spend time with us. And this temple process allows him to do that. So we want to walk you through that and, and tell you what that significance of the old temple process means for us today. All right, so can we put the, uh, the graphic up? So here we have two temples. One is the mobile temple, which is the top, and the uh, permanent temple, which is the bottom. As we look at the top, we can see that there's a wall that goes all the way around it. And on the outside of that wall, it's made up of skins of animals. On the inside of that wall, it's white linen. So on the outside, it looks like death. On the inside, it looks like purity which is symbolic of us because on the outside, our skin is dead. Inside, we are alive. We're pure through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so the, the permanent temple on the bottom, that's uh, what Solomon uh, built. It took 46 years, and it was a promise that God gave to his father, David. And as we look at the temples, there's a process that the high priest has to go through. So in that process, he has to complete every stage, and he has to do it perfectly before he moves to the next. 
And as he's going through it, there's a, a preparation where he comes into the temple and he makes sure everything's in place and it's all right. And then he has to have the sacrifice. He has to have, he has to have everything in place for the remission of sins. And then as he goes through that, he has to make sure that there's nothing left over on his person. So he has to get rid of the blemishes. He has to get rid of the spots. And he has to be cleansed. And what he does is he would look at himself in a laver to make sure that there's nothing on his face and everything else, he would wipe it off. Because no imperfection, no sin can be in the Holy of Holies. And so when he successfully completed all of that, he would enter the Holy of Holies. He would pull back that veil and he would enter in. And he had to make sure that there, he was spotless from anything that he'd done procedurally to get there. If not, he would die because sin cannot exist in the presence of God. And in there, there was a protection. As we heard when Jeremiah and his beautiful wife were reading that... <laughs> There's cherubim that are spanned over top of the ark. And then if that, if that high priest would come in, he had to have a, a rope around his, his waist and, and bells that he would ring, let the bells ring every so often to make sure that he was okay. Because he went in there, he was really a living sacrifice. Because if he didn't have that, he would die. And he did that for the people. He put himself in that position. God called him to that position he knowingly went into that position. So the role of the priest is to be the voice of the people to our God. The role of the prophet is to be the voice of God to the people. And so as we go through this, we can see that, and Desmond touched on it, that God is very protective over his temple. He's very protective over his people. And so why were the high priest, why were the priests and the religious leaders really intimidated by Jesus. What really offended them is the fact that Jesus functioned in a high priest role continuously. He did it how? Remission of sins. He was forgiving people of their sins. He was actually sharing with them how they could progress to get to know God. And he was representing the kingdom of God here on earth. And all of these things that he did, he did outside of the temple. And that didn't, they didn't like that because they wanted to have control. But he also held that high priest function as he went into the temple. And that challenged these, these religious leaders. And when he went in, he went into the temple before, before the, uh, the Passover and when he went in, he walked in, he looked around, and everything was in place. And I'll have Desmond read this. Yeah, so, I mean, I'll start at Mark chapter 11 and, you know, start verse 9. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you can see his triumphal entry here into Jerusalem. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And, and here's the verse. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So this is, is the night before what James is about to talk about. So what he did is he was actually the high priest that came down from heaven. And what he did is he went into the temple as a high priest would normally do to make sure everything was in place, similar to what they did in the, uh, the mobile temple and, and the permanent temple. And so what was the condition of the temple? Well, he went in and he noticed and he saw that everything was in place and he left that night. The very next day when he came in, it wasn't in the same condition. Does you want to read that? Yep. Mark 11, 15 to 17. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Incredible. 
So what happened is they allowed the marketplace to affect the church more than the church affect the marketplace. So what do we have there? We had commerce, we had politics, we had entertainment, we had religion, we had media. The building was used improperly for what it was intended, and it became an obstacle for these people receiving God's blessing. The true purpose for it was lost at that point. So what we have is we have Jesus coming in, and, and he said, hey, and I'm going to tear this out. I'm going to make sure all you money changers, all you people that are misusing my father's house, you're going to get, get out of here. And so we know that he made a whip. He turned over the tables, and he made sure that he cleared the way so everybody freely could go in. Now, he did that while they had, they had soldiers there that were protecting the money changers. There was, there was people there that could have opposed him. They would oppose normal people. But Jesus came fully in the power of God, and not one person opposed him or stopped him. So what he was doing is he was clearing the way for both that physical temple and what he said is in three days I'll raise myself again. Like you destroy this temple in three days I'll raise it again. So he was clearing away for both temples. So I have it written here. In one move, Jesus established his position as high priest for both the physical temple and the spiritual temple that was to come, accomplishing the full role of the priest that we were just talking about. See, the world of things can be obstacles and get in the way of, in that time, of them going into the temple. But we still have that today where these worldly things can get in the way of us being the temple. And that's what Jesus is clearing. And he was, he's shaking the church and, and he's, he's refining that. But as I mentioned earlier about the three days, uh, we have that in John 2, 17 to 20. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. So they were remembering an Old Testament prophecy. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. And so the Jews, Jewish leaders, they had the kingdom of God right in front of them. And when he was talking about the temple... That took 46 years, they thought, how can this happen? But what they should have done is they should have done a check in their spirit and said, wait a second, Jesus doesn't lie. Even though we try to get him to lie, he, he has never lied to us. So what is he referring to in three days? What temple is he talking about? But they stuck, they got stuck in the physical and they couldn't get the spiritual. They were frozen in that moment. But Jesus was prophesying about himself. And so they... They said, this temple cannot happen. But Jesus was really telling them, it's going to happen. Not can, but it's going to happen. Firm. Amen. And then we see here that there's something that was really remarkable that was happening when, when Jesus died. And we can read this in Matthew 27. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. And here's the verse. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom, the earth shook, rocks split apart. Incredible. 
So the temple veil was torn from top to bottom, no longer separating God and man. And the process for approaching God stopped from being a ritual and, and traditional and started being a lifestyle. This was a fulfillment of, of the prophecy for the complete restoration of man. Now this part here I'm going to read. See, all of this is a blueprint from Jesus, the, the permanent temple and the spiritual temple. Those are things that he had put in place, and he had already started walking it through. So the symbolism here is the temple was given to, to us, to the people from our Heavenly Father, the same as Jesus being the temple that was given to his people. Jesus going to the cross was clearing all the spiritual obstacles of separation, the way the physical obstacles were cleared. Tearing the veil symbolizes the breakaway from the physical to the spiritual temple. He fulfilled his obligation. Them destroying him ripped the veil from the old way of approaching God and established a new way, the new path to God. A spiritual temple at that point was born. Now, everyone, buckle down, put your seatbelts on, this is the passion that has. And I'm, I'm telling you, because it talks about the glory of God that is inside of us. We are the temples. We saw that when the priest would go through his, his rituals and duties, when he completed them successfully, it says the, the glory of God would fill the temple. So if we're the temple, where's the glory of God? It's inside of us. You know, it's pretty amazing. I think James has set the stage nicely this process that God put in place because he wanted so badly to visit with us. This mobile temple that they moved around and then this physical temple that was in place, but all designed for a way for him to commune with us, for us to have fellowship with him, for him to visit with us. You know, and, and he set the stage also that Jesus is not only a priest, like the priest of old, but the high priest, but Jesus is also the temple. He's both priest and the temple. And, and as the head of the body, the church, this is the part for me where it really comes alive because from Jesus, let's read 2 Peter 2, or sorry, 1 Peter 2, 5 to 9. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. I love that word mediation. James talked about obstacles being cleared out of the way. The priest had to clear obstacles out of the way in order to get to the Holy of Holies. Jesus cleared obstacles out of the temple. He tore the veil. He made a way. No more obstacles between us and God. As the scripture says, I, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for greater honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But here's the verse. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest. That's what you are. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Folks, as the temple, he's telling us, we get to show forth the goodness of God. That's what you're hearing here. You know, I love this. He has made us priests. Jesus was a priest, and he is the high priest, the head of the body, and he has made us priests. Therefore, we can approach God. The holy of holies, God's presence, like the priests of old. But, oh, it doesn't stop there. When he says we are the temple, his dwelling place, the God Almighty, the God of the universe dwells in us. As Christians, we carry God's presence. He empowers us to serve him and to serve others. 
representing his character, representing his nature as the temple. Are you getting this? We are the mobile temple once again. Walking, living, breathing tabernacles. Everywhere you go, he goes. You are the temple of God. You bring the temple with you everywhere you go. In the Old Testament, oh, let, let, me, let me take you here. First Corinthians, I appreciate that. That is worthy of clapping. <laughs> First Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God lives in you? So not only are you the temple individually, you're the temple collectively as the body. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is, a whole, is holy. And here it is, and you are the temple. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are the temple. In the Old Testament, priests were required to make animal sacrifices in order to approach and worship God. But Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice that made it possible for God's presence to dwell in us, laying down his life for our sins. And you can see that moment where God turned his back and Jesus felt that separation, just the weight of our sin on him. And God said, no more obstacles, no more obstacles. When we accept this reality, the pathway to God is cleared, my friends. No more obstacles. And now anything we do, Anything we do with a worshipful attitude toward God is considered a spiritual sacrifice. You heard him say spiritual sacrifice, right? We need to expand our idea of what it means to worship. We need to expand our idea of what it means to sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 to 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies, that is, everything that you are, everything about you, to God. Because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So everything we do is worship unto the God. I said, we, we were created to worship. We are going to worship something. Let everything you do, everything he puts in your life, everything that you put your hands to, be for his glory. Be for him. This is how it becomes worship to him. You know, and here it is, and the extension that we need to understand. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Changing the way you think. What's he changing it to? He's changing it to the way he thinks. No longer your perspective, his perspective. What he thinks about things. Process everything through him. So changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. When we empty ourselves for the sake of others, for the purpose of God like Jesus did, this brings pleasure to him. This is also a holy sacrifice. We see that in Hebrews 13, 15 to 16. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. I talked about that here in the beginning. Sometimes you don't feel like praising, but you need to praise. You need to not let your feelings and emotions rule you. You need to let the truth of who God is and the truth of his word rule you. So when we continue to praise even when we don't feel like it, that's a sacrifice, is it not? And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. So you're getting a picture for the kind of behavior that God sees as a holy sacrifice, a spiritual sacrifice. And you know where I'm going with this. You know, when we take a look at our sphere of influence, the largest part of our sphere of influence is where? It's in the marketplace. It's where we work. It's our nine to fives. We spend more time there than we spend anywhere else. And so the way you treat people there, 
the priest that you are that you bring to your workplace, interceding on their behalf, bringing the temple of God so that they can encounter God wherever you are. The influence that you have there, they will take to all aspects of their lives because that is where you spend most of your time. You don't spend most of your time in here. You spend most of your time out there. And of the out there, the majority is spent at work, is it not? So we need to be the priests that we are at work. The temple is not separated from the marketplace any longer. We are the mobile temple once again. And this is why we say in here, go be the church, the mobile temple. When it comes to your job, and I want you to hear this. When it comes to your job, your job description is what your employer is paying you to do. I want you to do it well. I want you to excel at it. I want your light to shine through it. I want you to do it with integrity because in so doing, it creates relationships and opportunities for you. So here, your job description is what your employer is paying you to do, but your assignment is why you are there to do it. You are, your kingdom title is priest, and God is your employer. Your assignment may change, but your employer never changes. You are priests. Are you getting this? You are priests, and you are the temple. You both mediate on behalf, bring the blessing of God into the places that you go to, bring the cares and concerns of the people to our Father, and at the same time, you bring his presence with you so that they can encounter him when they encounter you. The priest and the temple. As a priest, we have the same responsibility that the Levites have as priests. What do they do when we talked about the mobile temple? They carry the temple, they prepared the temple, and they protected the temple. So that responsibility is still with us, and we're learning this. Right now, as we go through our leadership in the workplace, <laughs> teachings here at WCF. So just uh, Nona Jones is one of the speakers that takes us through this. So as we look at John 4, 39 to 42, I want you to see something about how to effectively influence the lives of those that we engage with from a spiritual perspective. Now it reads, this is the story of this Samaritan woman. It says, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus. Because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came to see him, they begged him to stay in their villages. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him for ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. What I want you to catch here is that she had an encounter. She said, he told me everything about myself. How could he have known this? When she encountered him, her life changed, and she had a story. And she went and told that story. And people believed when they, they saw her and they knew something was different, they believed. But then something else happened. They said, when they encountered Jesus for themselves and had their own experience with them, then they really believed. So the story got them to believe, but they were transformed by encountering him for themselves. So please hear me when I say this. Your story is important. Share your story like she shared her story. Be a place where the Holy Spirit dwells so people can encounter God when they encounter you. Because when their lives are transformed through the presence of God, that's it. They will believe, and no one can take that from them. So do, do we save anybody? We don't save anybody. Oh, but we make introductions so that the Holy Spirit can do the work in the lives of the people that we encounter. Amen? My friends, don't be surprised when people come to you for advice because you are a place of meeting. You're a place for them to encounter our Father. They want to 
have what you have. But we have a responsibility when we carry this place of meeting. We have a responsibility to prepare this place of meeting. And how do we do that? Well, we stay connected. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. Is there anything really special in the branches in and of itself? Can the branch really do much? Without being connected to the vine, no. The vine does everything. It provides all of the nutrients. The branch's job is just to stay connected. You stay connected through prayer, through worship, like I just talked about, through reading the word. Stay connected so that God is able to work through you. He knows the people better than you do. People aren't looking for your opinions. They're looking for an encounter with the living God. Prepare every day. You know, I, I did a little blurb, you know, a little video testimony. I was saying, you know, when you leave the house, take Jesus with you. We spend that wonderful time with him, you know, in the mornings, and it's so rich, and we praise, and we worship, and we read, and we, and, and, I, and this, is, this was the conviction of my heart. And then we leave and we go, hey, uh, I'll see you when I get back. You know, and we go to work. And then work is this unholy place where we don't have any responsibility on how we behave. We have no need to be the temple of God because it's a different place. It's secular. The sacred place is in here once a week. Right? So we have to behave in here. Maybe in our families too because, well, we want the blessing of God for our families. But come now. Take Jesus with you into every sphere of influence you have. Don't hoard it for yourself. Why should you be the only one that enjoys the rich blessings of God? Why should you be the only one to have God transform and lead you through your situations? This is where God convicted me in the deepest of places. And now that I've seen I cannot unsee. This gospel message is not meant for you alone. It is not just for your betterment. It is not just so you and your family can have a good life. You are joining him on mission. You are part of his master plan and you have a role to play. And it's for the sake of others. If he does anything for you or in you or for your life, it's because it's for others too. It will overflow into the lives of others. So don't keep it to yourself. I didn't even have that on my notes. <laughs> what I want you to understand from this story here in John 11, 41, 44, it's a picture of Jesus and Lazarus. And it says in verse 41, so they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You are always, you always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. I want you to see something from this story. Jesus said, I'm saying these things. Father, I know you hear me. I'm saying these things so that I know you hear me, but I want them to know you hear me too. So he's being very public about the relationship that he has with God. He's letting you know how connected he is. And then he prays. That's the other thing he does. To show you where his source of strength comes from. Where the power that's released in his life comes from. So the point is this. Don't hide your relationship with God. Don't hide it. Be who you are everywhere that you are. Now, don't be obnoxious about it either. What do I mean by that? You know, um, in the marketplace, I'm retired now, but I had 29 years in the marketplace. And I, I can tell you I had people that would just preach all the time. On the clock, and they're just doing nothing but preaching all the time. They're getting paid to do a job. They have an employer that's giving them a paycheck. So they, they have a responsibility to do a job and do it well. When you do excellent work, when you do work quietly, when you do work for his glory, when you work well even when no one else is looking because you know he's looking, it creates a platform. 
You're adding value to people's lives. You're adding value to that company. Excellent work creates a platform for you to be able to speak into people's lives. That's how it works in the marketplace. Do good work well first. And be who you are everywhere that you are, both in word and in deed. And what he points to here is that prayer is such an effective tool in creating an environment for the Holy Spirit to get involved in our lives. You know, as priests, and we said it, you're priests, right? You guys joke and call me Pastor Dez. Ha, 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 ha. Well, you're priests. Priest Brian, right? You're priests. Priest Jordan. That's how it works. Priest Danielle over here. The whole point is, assume your role as a priest, your role as an intercessor. Intercede, pray, repent, and worship on behalf of your colleagues and companies instead of complaining about them. I'm sorry, did I step on some toes with that one? Do we complain more about these places? Do we complain more about these people than we do pray and intercede and lift them up? Come on, do we not believe that prayer is an effective tool? Pray over your office. Pray over your meeting rooms, your meetings themselves. Ask your colleagues how you can pray for them. Seek godly wisdom for your decisions. Don't just rely on your own wisdom. And take authority over the spiritual condition of your workplace. Even unholy places can become holy as you are salt and light. And as a priest, God mediates his blessing to the places that you are. Amen? And what about protecting your temple, this meeting place? The Bible tells us to guard our hearts because whatever gets in here is going to affect your behavior. You heard James talking about protection of the temple. This is one of the things he tells us to do. Protect it. I'm going to say this to you. Maturity is one of our values. You heard me say that. You're going to have plenty of opportunities to be offended in this place. I promise you that. You might like me now, but I promise you at some point I'm going to offend you. This is a reality. This is a fact. I want your eyes to be wide open to this. This will happen. You know how I know? Because he says 70 times 7 a day to forgive people. That is a whole lot of forgiving. And if there's that much forgiving, there's going to be that much offending. He designed us to live in community. And when we live in community, we're going to ruffle one another. We're going to ruffle our flesh. But you will not become mature believers unless you're willing to walk through these things and process them through him. Are you hearing me? We cannot stay baby Christians. We cannot be immature any longer. We need to reflect the kingdom of God to the world out there. And it's by dying to self in here that we better reflect that. Become that priest. You know, life and work can be very stressful. And you get into many difficult situations that are exhausting. But man, it creates an opportunity for others to see the hope that you have as you are rooted in Christ. The kingdom of God does not make a distinction between the sacred and the secular. It is the kingdom of God. And neither should you. There's no distinction between your life in here and your life out there. Between your life at home and your life at work. It's all sacred to God. And like Jesus, you are a priest and you are a temple. Amen? Now here's the point. Exodus 31, 2, 6, there's these couple of guys. I'll read it to you. Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel and the son of Uri, grandson of her, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. I read that and I thought, you mean, you, you mean God just doesn't bless the pastors? 
You mean he doesn't just empower the pastors to preach and teach? You mean, you mean he empowers us in the things that we call secular? Those giftings that we have out in the marketplace? You mean he can empower us to do those things too? His word says he does. But here it is. I have personally appointed Oliab, oh, sorry, Oliab, the son of Ahizamak of the tribe of Dan to be his assistant. Moreover, I have given special skills to all the gifted craftsmen so they can make all the things I have commanded you to. So, so here it is. It wasn't just those two guys. It was everybody. I think you guys are part of everybody. So this is what he's doing. These marketplace people, he had them come to help with the reconstruction of the, or the construction of the temple. He brought, they brought their marketplace skills to bear on the building of the temple. Now, we're talking the physical temple, but I know, you're, I know that you are tracking with me here because it applies to the spiritual temple as well. We are the body of Christ. We are priests. We have assignments out there. But everything about you, all the skills and abilities and talents that you have, also bless and benefit in here. It's part of the equipping process. It's part of preparing the temple for the great work. Amen? So I bring that up because, you know, for me, and James is going to talk to you about Nehemiah here, God really turned my heart this way. And I realized, I could, and I share this with Pastor RJ, I had the opportunity to be a youth pastor at some point, early. I think I was probably 29. And I wanted to be in the marketplace. I really felt called to the marketplace. I felt like I was supposed to be out there. And after a 29-year career in the marketplace, I think I've come to the realization that I've been pastoring all along. Just not in here. The gifts he gives you are for his kingdom. Are there more people out there or in here? <laughs> so I think I was a Nehemiah. And James, I'll let you pick it up from there. <laughs> so uh, Nehemiah was uh, a prophetic word that the Lord gave me um, more than 10 years ago. And it was about this part of the body of Christ. So as I was reading Nehemiah, if you don't know the story about Nehemiah, um, I'll give it to you really quick and I'll, I'll, I'll see how, I'll, I'll show you how it relates and what God has spoke to me about it. Uh, Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer for the, uh, the king of Persia. And during that time, the exiled uh, Israelites, Jewish people, they were returning back to Jerusalem. They were in Babylon, and, and they were released, and they came back to Jerusalem. So while they were back there, um, Nehemiah continued to be the cupbearer. And a cupbearer is a, a very high, prestigious, influential position, because if anybody wanted to kill the king, they could poison what he drinks and eats. And the cupbearer was the protector for that. So the king had to have the utmost um, trust in him. And so he held that position with the king, highly favored. And when uh, he was in that position, his brother and a few others came from Jerusalem and they saw him and he said, hey, how's it going in Jerusalem now that the people have returned and they said, it's not going well because the walls are still down. The temple is up, but the walls are down. And it really troubled Nehemiah. Troubled him so much that he started to fast and pray. And he prayed, he says, Lord, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my, my father's family, that have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands and decrees and the laws that you gave us. And so he repented, and he was looking for direction from the Lord, and then he received that direction. And then he was a little downtrodden, and the king said, hey, you're not sick. You don't look sick. 
but something's troubling me. What is it? And so he, he shared it with the king, and the king said, okay, um, I'm going to let you go. How much time do you need? And so he wrote him a letter of passage, and then he gave him a letter for timber because that's what Nehemiah asked. And so the, the king granted it to him. But then the king also said this. He says, I'm going to give you soldiers. I'm going to give you a cavalry so that you can safely go. And then you can complete the task while you're there. So Nehemiah went to Jerusalem. And when he went there, he was there for three days. And he assessed everything secretly. And then what he did is he started putting a plan together. And then he met with all of the, uh, the city officials. He met with the, uh, yeah, the city officials, the Jewish leaders, the priests, nobles, officials, and administrators. And then he told them what the plan was about rebuilding the wall. And they agreed, and they were excited, and they started doing it. The moment that he arrived, there was some opposition. And then as the, the wall started to grow, the opposition increased and became a little more aggressive. And the closer he got, the more aggressive they came. And then the message came to, to Nehemiah that they were looking to come and kill them. And then the people there, the officials, the people I just talked about, the Jewish leaders, they wanted to run into the temple and hide. And then Nehemiah said, oh, no, we're not. We're going to stand. And we're going to continue doing the work that God had called me to do. And that was a promise. And so he says, but what we're going to do is we're going to be on guard. We're going to be very conscious. We're going to be aware of what's happening. We're going to have our weapon in one hand. We're going to build with the other. The weapon they had was a sword. God has given us a sword, which is his word, Hebrews 4.12. It's inside of us. We have that weapon. And we also have the other hand to build up the body of Christ. And so they continued doing that. And then the aggression got heavier, and they were trying to trick Nehemiah to come out because they wanted to kill him, and he said no. So what I see in this, and what the Lord showed me in this, is that there's a, and this is over 10 years ago, there's a shaking coming to the church. And when I first came here, I, I was here, and I looked around, and it was, it was full, and I said, I said, Lord, I'm just a little candle amongst all these chandeliers. I don't care about shining in here. But out there, there's a lot of James Richards. Help me shine out there. The gift that you have inside of me, help me show them out there. And he was telling me about, that's what he called me to do. He says, I didn't call you to the building. He said, I called you to the body. Amen. And I thought, there's a lot of people out there. So then as I went there, and I was really seeking God and fasting and praying, he put me in front of people, and I would speak to them. God would show me their life, and I would be able to share with them prophetically what was happening. And there's people that later had stage four cancer, healed the stage four cancer. Just like Acts, there was one miracle that happened in the, in the temple, and 39 were outside of the temple. As Desmond's talking about who we are, we are the temple. The glory of God is inside of us. And out there, they don't know it unless they see it in you. So God was showing me that what he's doing in the church is he wants to get the people outside of the four walls because all of it should happen outside of there. And that people were hiding in the building and separating themselves from what God wanted them to do in the marketplace. And I said, I don't care about being known in the church for anything, but if you're known out there for everything, I, I'm happy with that. And that's what I wanted to do. And that's what he called me to do. And then as that was happening, God was showing prophetically that the shaking was going to happen, that he was going to cause people to leave the church and force them out of the building. But just like in Nehemiah, he, he was showing me that they wanted to run back. But he was going to put some of us in positions to say, no, you're not. We're going to stay out there because that's where they need us. And that is what he's called us to do. He's called us to be that, that temple 100% of the time. Not hypocrites. Not just here are we the temple where it's, it's visible to everybody and we're all saying, hey, this is great. It's out there being and living for Christ 100% of the time. And so 
as that was happening, and I'm, I'm seeing that that's what's happening, and that God was going to change the dynamic of this portion of the body of Christ, and it is a forerunner for what's to come. So there's a prophetic move happening in here. There's people here that have revelatory gifts that God's going to stir them up. And you're going to see them demonstrated out there more than you will in here. You already know him. They don't. The demonstration of his power is out there. And as Desmond talked about us being in a marketplace, we're Nehemiah's. And we're here to encourage you. Exactly. So here, here it is. When I say we're Nehemiah's, you know, if you're not, even if you are employed by the church, you're still Nehemiah's because it's 100% of the time. There's no compromise. The glory of God is inside of you. You are the temple. You, you heard them read it, and we, we talked about it. When, when you get rid of all the obstacles, God fills the temple. He's filling us every day. And these people out here, and even here inside, We'll experience that. So as, as that prophetic word was coming about what he's doing here and that he was going to change the dynamic of, of this place and it was, it's, he's talking to me about equipping the saints and that this isn't going to be the four walls but it's going to be this region and it's going to be influential in this region. And then as, as I was meditating and praying on that, and the Spirit of the Lord says this, it's not a rise of evil and intimidation. It's a rise of my spirit, and the response is from that. So think about this, that the devil, the only time that, that the devil manifested is when Jesus, the glory of God, was walking so think about this. He's walking through the crowd, and these demons that were in people, they said, Jesus, have you come before our time to torment us? Right? They spoke up. They were there the whole time, but it wasn't manifested until the glory of God was present. So that's what the Spirit of God is saying here and today, is that there's not a rise of evil. There's not a rise of intimidation. It's a demonstration of the glory of God manifesting in the earth, and this is the evil's response. So don't get intimidated by it. Don't let it, don't let it think that it's stronger, that it's rising up. No, it's trying to respond to what God is doing. And so if you're around people and they get agitated, it's because the glory of God is there and you love them. I was sharing with one person, I was sharing with one person, they were talking about their father and how much he was drinking. And they said, he's drinking more now than ever before. And they said, we need prayer. And I said, no, you don't. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, your father is going to come to know Christ very soon. It's not what he's running to. It's who he's running from. So you have to see it differently. It's not that that's evil. It's the glory of God is coming on him, and he's trying to, to figure it out. I said, but he'll come to know the Lord soon. And within a few months, he did. If we look at things the way that God sees it, and we see what the glory of God does with people's lives. It's transformation. So what happened with Nehemiah? He was a cupbearer. He knew that the, the people had returned to Jerusalem. But he didn't pursue it. He was apathetic. He stayed within his comfort zone. But here's the other thing. Is those leaders and everybody that was there. They were more than capable of building up the wall themselves because when, when Nehemiah came, they did it. But they were apathetic. But when the Spirit of God starts moving on a leader and has the one person that says, here it is, this is what we're going to do, then you start seeing activity. And it was actionable. And those apathetic on both sides became energetic and activated. God is activating people. And, and I know we talk about tithe, and I said this in the first service as well, that if you have problems with, with money and, and doing it, don't worry about it. God doesn't need your money. 
He owns everything in this world. Everything belongs to him already. The one thing that you can give him that he doesn't own is your heart. And if he has your heart, everything else flows. And then there's also people in the marketplace, Nehemiah's, that are apathetic, that God is stirring the heart. And they're going to come back to him and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Just like Nehemiah, and I read it, that he repented. They're repenting. He's restoring and bridging that. Where the world tried to steal them from the church? No. He educated them like Moses was educated. And then the Lord used that education to bridge the gap. And he's doing that. He's doing that in this city. He's doing that in this region. And when I, when I was praying a long time ago and, and the Lord showed me the state of the church and how they would constantly try to run back into the temple like they did with Nehemiah, he's saying, but that's not going to happen because I'm going to stir the hearts and they're going to start seeing the glory of God outside the building because it's not about a building, it's about a body. And he's called me to tell you that. If I didn't tell you that, I'd be in trouble. And so even Des and I being up here, um, this is a prophetic moment because I saw this years ago that we'd be up here and it's like, oh my goodness, I got to go up front and talk. (laughs) Des can do it by himself. (laughs) But this is not my strength, is being up here and, and speaking. It never was. And Des and I, we talked about that. And that's okay. Because I'll be obedient to what he's called me to do. Because it's not about me. The moment I remove myself, I'm not an obstacle for your blessing. Can you see that? We don't ever want to be an obstacle for someone else's blessing. We see how Jesus removed the obstacles. So, as we're, we're going to do communion, so everyone can stand, please. If you don't know Jesus Christ, and we're talking about us being the temple, that he inhabits the temple, and his glory fills the temple. If you don't know Jesus, you can come down. And on top of that, if you do know him, and you've been apathetic, or the things of this world have been preventing you from receiving the full glory of God, come on down. If you want more of Christ, you want more of that spirit, you want a refreshing of the spirit, come on down. If you thought evil was rising up and taking over who you are and what you're doing, the devil's lied to you. Because when you're seeing evil around you and the thing's happening, it's because that what's inside of you is causing it to be exposed. God wants you to see things the way he sees it. It's an outpouring of his spirit. And when you have an outpouring of the spirit, you're going to have manifestations. We've already started seeing it here. There's been, I don't know how many deliverances here already. And here's the other thing. I'm at work and I'm talking to a a colleague at work and I'm talking about the Spirit of God in this very thing. And this one guy was telling me, well, you got to talk to this guy because he has something at his his grandmother's place. And there's a manifestation at his grandmother's place where they say that there's a spirit there. And I said, hey, if you need help, I said, I can help you. I can get rid of this for you. I said, by the power of Jesus Christ, I can come there and that'll be, you'll be set free from there. That's going to be happening more. So you'll see a rise of the prophetic in this house more so. And you'll also see manifestations happening or you'll hear of them. Because this region, I'm telling you, the glory of God is, is really touching this region. And it's not about separating churches. It's not about the government. It's about what God is doing with the government. And they're feeling pressure from God. Don't ever see it the wrong way. The enemy would love to have you attack them. Don't attack them. 
They're people. There's two conditions in this world, saved and they know God and unsaved and they don't. Do we want to condemn them to hell? Really? We don't. If you've been judging and criticizing, as Desmond is talking about employer, but I'm talking about government, everything. Those could be obstacles. Just come down. As we take the bread, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. This is his body that he broke for us. It says, by his stripes we are healed. We are healed, delivered, and set free. Jesus said to the Pharisees, is it easier for the Son of Man to say your sins are forgiven or pick up your bed and walk? It's easy for him to say that. And now it's easy for us because we know we have a Redeemer. He went to the cross already. We're going to talk about that more next week. But that's the body. He allowed them to kill him for us. He did nothing wrong. And he allowed them to kill him so we could have moments like this. We are so thankful. And as we take this, remember, you did nothing wrong. This is the remembrance of, of a flawless, sinless, perfect person. I said, I'm going to go and I'm going to die for you. So let's take this. Take. Father, we, we thank you for, for shedding your blood for us. That sacrifice that was once and for all. For all of our sins. The weight of it was crushing, but you did that. You did that because you loved us. And now we are in relationship with you, with our Father as well. Enjoying his presence because of your sacrifice. You don't ever want to forget it, Lord. This was a heavy price that was paid. We are so thankful and we are so grateful. And Father, we stand up to the assignment that you've given us as we join you in mission, living, submitted, sacrificial lives, submitted to you, that you could work in and through us. You would accomplish your will in those in and around us. That everything we do would point man to you. And like Jesus, we can say, we only do the will of the Father who sent us. So thank you, Father, for your sacrifice, the sacrifice of your son, and thank you, Jesus, for your obedience. We partake now, in Jesus' name. So as Desmond was saying that, the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. You are the church. And in Ephesians 6, it says, when you've done all to do, stand. Stand, therefore, stand. Take a position because the enemy won't succeed. Remember that. That's a promise. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. You are the church. We are the church. He won't succeed. I'm reminded in Ecclesiastics chapter 4, 9, two can accomplish more than twice as much as one for the results are much better. If one falls in the ditch, so to speak, in the New Testament, the other pulls him up. But if a man falls when he's alone, he's in trouble. And one standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two standing back-to-back -back can conquer. Three is even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. Call on some friends around you. I mean, look at the size of this body. If you've got some issues going on, ask somebody for some help and... Uh, also remember, there's people up front here after the service. We love praying with people. Love seeing them come back two weeks later and seeing that, that issue is gone. So uh, 
Windsor Christian Fellowship, you have been equipped. Go. the world.